because it's a new year. This is Michael Cast episode 218 for January 9th, 2011. This week's episode of MuggleCast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash MuggleCast. And by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account, Go to squarespace.com and use the code MUGGLE. Welcome to MuggleCast episode 218. It's the first show of the new year. It's a pleasure to continue podcasting with you all through the year 2011. And we have um, lots of news and a little side notes to kick off the new year. Micah and I discussed a, a slightly different intro to the show, one that sort of gets us into the show faster so you'll notice you'll notice there's no longer the um the the typical music and and the drum stuff and all that so come to think of it i don't even know how to intro everyone because in in years past we've always done i'm major sims i'm eric skull i'm Michael tannenbaum i'm richard reed but now there's really no place to do that so huh i, I can't yeah. wait i can't wait to hear this is there still david Heyman? no uh-huh. Got rid of him. Wow. Got rid of him. Yeah. Goodbye. His his license expired, right? We can no longer yeah, use like, his voice. His time has come. He told us we can only use it for a year, and then uh, we got to Yeah, get after rid of 2010, it's no good anymore. Wow, well, no, like you the- know what I realized? For the longest time, we had Jim Dale and David Heyman over top that beautiful guitar Hedwig's theme, and I listened to it yesterday, yesterday for the first time in a while without a crappy phone uh, voice talking over it, and it sounds so beautiful, and I'm like, we've been wasting this beautiful intro. Well, Andrew, I'm sorry so, we couldn't get David Heyman to use QuickTime uh, during the interview so that it sounded okay. a little bit better. It would have sounded better, but it's okay. Now everybody gets to hear that beautiful guitar intro completely uncovered. It really is really is beautiful. I hope uh listen to it again and really appreciate the, so, the depth. So MuggleCast is now in high-def audio, right? Uh, sort of, yeah. Remastered. Yeah, that was another, that was another goal of the new intros to make sure it sounds pretty good. Yeah. So, um, so, uh, well, let's just start it this way. I'm Andrew Sims. <laughs> Wait a minute. You said we weren't going to do this. No, we will. But then we'll have, All there right. just won't be any music. I'm skeptical. Okay. Eric Skull. I'm Micah Tannenbaum. And I'm Richard Reed. Micah Tannenbaum. See, that was easy. Micah Tannenbaum, what's in the news? <laughs> We're going to start off the new year with some butterbeer. Oh. Yeah. It's the right way to start off the new year. Maybe a little bit of something extra in there if you're, if you're 21 years of age or older. <laughs> but uh, Universal Orlando has uh, announced that they have sold over 1 million butterbeers in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter theme park. It's a milestone. They took a picture. 1,000 lucky guests were holding up. They're free butterbeers. Uh, they were there on the day that this was announced. And uh, it just goes to show you, you know, we talked uh, obviously last year about the number of people that have come through the theme park. But now, you know, we're seeing on the merchandise side, the the vendor side, that, that they're still going pretty strong. One million is a lot of butterbeers. I got to say, the picture was really cute. Everybody holding up their butterbeers and the person in the front was wearing a scarf, a Gryffindor scarf. And everybody looked so <laughs> they happy. They probably gave that to him. 
Yeah, they're like, here, <laughs> yeah, wear this. Make this look vaguely Harry Potter. Well, it just shows, like, at any given time, there were a thousand people in the park for them to take a picture of, you know, holding butterbeer. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, and there was a new article in the New York Times today mentioning that uh, um, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter is putting pressure on Disney World, which a lot of people knew already, but it was nice to see a New York Times full-blown article on it. It was a two-page article in the Sunday paper. So uh, give that a quick read. It's not There's nothing new that was revealed. That's why we haven't posted it on MuggleNet yet, but um, pretty pretty good to see. Yeah. And the uh, next piece of news, Scholastic released an official statement earlier this week saying uh, that the court dismissed the plagiarism lawsuit against them. Uh, if you remember back in July of last year, the estate of British author Adrian Jacobs was suing Scholastic, claiming that Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire was, quote, substantially similar to Jacobs' 1987 book, The Adventures of Willie the Wizard. And so the judge ruled in the court uh, earlier this week and, and said that uh, basically there is no comparison. And, uh, yeah, as you just said, it's a bunch of uh, BS. Well, it's, that's great to see. Yeah. That didn't have to go any further. That the judge knew this was nonsense. And, and I was interested in Judge Scheinlin. I'm wondering if, if that's... Did Judge Judy rule on this case? I don't get it. What do you mean? That's her last name. Oh, really? Oh, that's her last... <laughs> Micah, I'm, 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 I'm pleased that you know that. So maybe you're saying we'll see this on a case, on an episode of Judge Judy someday. <laughs> you Judge might Judy. see it, yeah. Today on Judge Judy. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. And, and she'll just be like, no, 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 no. There's no, there's no, no, no. It's not going to... No, no. Snap, snap your mouth. Snap your mouth. Don't, don't talk. Don't talk. You'll be in contempt. You'll be in contempt. No, 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 no. Stop. There is nothing. There's no excuse for that. No excuse whatsoever. (laughs) Eric's just going to keep going all show. I have a feeling. Um, Let's talk a little bit about Deathly Hallows. The uh, part one was shortlisted in visual effects uh, at the 2011 Academy Awards. This is the first, I think, that we're hearing about any sort of award nomination uh, for the Oscars for Deathly Hallows. We had a little bit of a discussion towards the end of last year about the movie as a whole possibly being nominated as its, you know, the second to last film. Not a surprise in visual effects, I don't think. No. And, and frankly, I find this whole shortlisting, longlisting thing very annoying because there's, you know, there's about a million announcements just for this one category. Um, so now we have to wait for, we have to wait for another round of eliminations to happen on January 20th. And if, and if the movie is in that, if, if the movie makes that cut, then it will be in the Academy Awards. To be nominated. So yeah. It'll be nominated. Well, just for a right. second here, what scenes do you think stand out that would possibly help it win? In visual effects, I would say uh, the Seven Potter scene because the way they talked that one up. Uh, I remember Dan on the set talking very passionately, passionately about that. Uh, I can't remember how many takes. I want to say it was close to a hundred takes for that scene because he had to shoot. Uh, he personally had to shoot that scene uh, close to a hundred times, I think, because he was in the scene. You know, as each person seven times, right? So. Um, I would say that one's a, a standout. That's good. And 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 Mike, any others? You ask what scenes? I think the cutscenes where they apparate. You know, after the apparition effect was really cool to me. But 
maybe that's too short to nominate. Yeah, but I don't think they nominate. I don't know if they do it for particular scenes. I think they just do it for the visual overall. Um, if the visual effects mesh well with the real life uh, action taking place on screen. So are, if it feels feels like a very now, natural are, are um, Dobby and Creature considered visual effects, or do they oh, fall yeah. into another category? Oh, yeah. Mike, I have news for you. Dobby is not real. I'm sorry. Oh. So he would be visual effects. Before we continue with today's episode, we'd like to remind everyone that today's episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to create and manage a high-quality website or blog. Create a website that's uniquely you to display your photos from Flickr, a blog you've been thinking about starting, or the tweets and RSS feeds you like the most, on the design and colors of your choice. Whatever you want to communicate, you can say it easily and with style with Squarespace. They also have an iPhone app, which makes it easy to update your site while you're on the go, so your website is constantly updated no matter where you are. The best part is you can try today for free. Visit squarespace.com and sign up for their free trial. Then choose a design template to get started. No credit card needed. Just give it a try to build your website. Then, if you decide to purchase, enter code MUGGLE to receive 10% off for six months. That's squarespace.com, offer code MUGGLE. We thank Squarespace for their support. Well, keeping on the movie theme, Deathly Hallows Part 1 eclipsed the $900 million mark. It passed Chamber of Secrets and Goblet of Fire. Uh, it currently has gross $902 million worldwide. That number uh, will probably go up after the show is released as the numbers get uh, put out there uh, over this weekend. And next on the list for it to surpass is Jurassic Park, which is at number 15 with $914.7 million. So the, a little bit of a ways to go between 902 and $915 million. Man, I, I don't know. Jurassic Park is such a classic. I feel like somebody had well, to Well, once that. you get into the top 15, I think most of them are classics, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> well. Dr- uh, side note, Jurassic Park, composed by the score composed by John Williams. I feel like if John Williams was the composer, he has a certain group of diehard followers that would go see the film just to hear his music. Oh, is that how you think it works? So, well, well, I mean that would help him. That would help us get past Jurassic yeah. Park. What I like about this news story is that we posted a news story among that a couple of weeks ago, when it was about eight million behind uh, Chamber of Secrets, I think. And I think it was Micah that posted, and you're just like, you know, only eight million more to go, and it'll surpass Chamber of Secrets. And now it did. So that's wonderful. <laughs> yes, it's. We're did. keeping track of this. I, well, I love well, Micah. Micah's take a look. Oh, sorry, go seen, ahead. Mike, Mike is a number guy. He loves watching the movie go up the list. I can tell. He's made like a million news posts about it. Yeah, well, it. if you look at the news posts that I, that I like to, uh, to put out there are usually, like you said, they're numbers based. So anything that's like business or financially related, I always like to, uh, to post those stories. But, you know, just kind of looking at ahead in terms of what's in front of it, uh, from Harry Potter, uh, Half-Blood Prince is at number 11, Order of the Phoenix is at 10, and Sorcerer's Stone is at number 8. So, uh, you know, a chance to crack the top ten, maybe, I don't know. Uh, it's going to be hard for it to do it, I think. Do you think part two will be the most successful one of the lot? You know, I really think, in terms of midnight sales, I think it will be. Um, Until Breaking Dawn part one. Well, Warner Brothers really has to push the finale onto people who aren't diehard fans. I think people are going to be really curious just to see the ending, whether you're a fan or not. So, yes, I think it does have a good chance to 
be the top grossing Harry Potter film? I don't know. I don't know. Because if, you, if you'd read the books, you know, you were waiting to see if Harry was going to die or not. But that hasn't really been played up so much in the films as it was in the books with the prophecy and everything. So I don't think there's as much suspense for the last the end of the movie that there was for the books. Well, don't you think they will play up that death thing? Because look at that part one, part two trailer that was released last year when Harry's walking towards Voldemort and... Voldemort yeah, absolutely. says Harry Potter come to die. Yeah, I think it would be a good idea for them to to create a trailer, which which is kind of a who will live, who will die type of trailer for the people, as you said, who haven't seen the movies yet. You know, you do like those little flashes yeah. of the individual characters, and you know, basically you're asking people to come to the film to see who's going to make it through to the end. And if they show enough, I think, action in those trailers too, it's going to draw a, a pretty good crowd. And I think it has a chance, really, to to be the highest grossing film of all time. I mean, it's got a summer release. You're going to have more people out there. You're not going to have the issue of it uh, of it not being put into 3D. I think that hurt sales um, for part one because just it from a ticket price standpoint, they didn't have the revenue from that. Um, That's true. That's very true. So I, I think it, it can most likely give Titanic and, and Avatar a run. I think it's it's going to be up there. Quite a few films and studios these days rely on making on on the 3D profitability because it just yeah. just to boost their ticket numbers. So uh, a part two 3D, oh man, I I really can't even imagine. Plus, you know, ticket inflation by by summer, ticket prices are going to be up <laughs> another five bucks anyway. I, and the thing with Avatar, though, wasn't Avatar re-released? Yeah, or am I wrong about uh, yes, that? Yes, it was. Yeah, so that probably helped it a little bit. And by the way, I think there's already uh, rumors of part one being re-released in 3D, right? So by the time that happens, uh, I, don't know I how think I that'll help that. push it up a couple more spots in the top grossing films. Sure. I definitely wouldn't go to see it again just because it's in 3D, though. Me neither. I agree. But what about what about right before part two? Yeah, no, I still wouldn't. Wouldn't? No. Okay. I don't think 3D adds anything to the film. I kind of want to see part one again right before part two, but that is a long time to sit in the theater. We'd like to take a quick break to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One audiobook to consider is Mockingjay, the third and final book in the amazing Hunger Games trilogy that every host on this show has read and loved. Be sure to check out the first two books as well, The Hunger Games and Catching Fire. You can get any one of those for free by visiting audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast. Again, that's audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast. We thank Audible for their support of Mugglecast. All right, Micah, what else is going on? Well, a bit of casting news. Scorpius, as well as young Severus Snape. Uh, obviously, they weren't cast recently, but they were... Uh the, the roles were announced, uh, who was going to be playing them. And I know on an episode not too long ago, somebody had written in asking, had they cast uh, young Severus Snape? And uh, they were looking forward to that, uh, the Prince's Tale scene. And we know uh, that uh, Benedict Clark, 14-year-old Benedict Clark, will play the role of young Snape. Keeping along the lines of casting, in a new interview, Kieran Hines. Did I say that right, Richard? Kieran? Kieran? Yeah, he works for Mungo now. What about him? 
he, <laughs> he came to life the other day, actually. He, uh, he did. Anyway, uh, he will, of course, be playing Aberforth in uh, Deathly Hallows Part 2. And uh, he talked a little bit about what we can expect from his role. He said, My scene was a four-page exposition about Albus Dumbledore's childhood and how he's not all he said he was. It's that hole in the film that needs to be filled. Uh, he also referred to uh, his part as a blink-and-you'll-miss-it role. And I know uh, this caused a lot of reaction because they said, well, how can it be a blink-and-you'll-miss-it role if he's got a four-page exposition? <laughs> right. Well, Does he mean that's maybe how it's that not all his dialogue. That much action or what? Like, you know, because it's right before everybody goes to Hogwarts and there's so much emotion and action then. And it's it's, it's like... Is that why? Because it seems contradictory. It is a it is a bit worrying because we do see a good bit a bit of him uh, when you know with the secret passageway. Uh, so hopefully, hopefully this is not the only scene he's in. This four page exposition. Well, that's what he said. Um, but maybe he's uh. Oh, but well. but just, just like before, though, just like Deathly Hallows Part 1 or any of these movies, you know, that much dialogue, if treated properly, which I rely on Yates to do that, um, as he has done successfully with every other short scene, like, for instance, even the Xenophilius Lovegood scene wasn't that long, you know, and, uh, and Rissa Fons does a great job. I, I just think uh, it, it will matter, and it will be less of a blink and you miss it role. These, these, these Brits are so cynical. I swear. Well, when he said that, it immediately reminded me of that scene. What was it, in Prisoner or Goblet? When you you see him walking past the goat <laughs> or something. Order of the Phoenix. Order of the Phoenix. That's a blink and you'll miss it. <laughs> yeah, that's a blink and you'll miss it. Roll. <laughs> Come here. So kill hopefully me. it's not as short as that. <laughs> and the goat walks off. That was great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But what this does do, I think, is it, it lets you know for a lot of people who are questioning why so much of Dumbledore's backstory was left out of the first part, that, that at least you will get some explanation to it, and that's how they're going to explain it in part two. That was what satisfied me, that that plot thread hadn't, officially hadn't been dropped, you know? Where it's not just an interesting question to raise in movie one, they're actually going to be re- revisiting it. All right, well, now from the movie to the book, uh, Deathly Hallows lost its spot as the top-selling product in Amazon history. This was back on December the 27th. The Kindle. No! The Kindle hang on, says, hang on, say, Micah, it says Amazon. Of course it says, says Amazon. Amazon. They want their product to be the top-selling device of all time. Why? Exactly. You don't see any, uh, any problem with that? You don't see any... Um, well, what do you think they're lying? I mean, look, the, the book the book was released 3 years ago. It sold like crazy for the first year, probably. And then the Kindle came out, I guess probably a year after the book was released and Amazon has been selling Kindles like crazy. This is no surprise that um that that the uh, Do you have a Kindle and Kindle? Uh I did at one so point. So you contributed and- to the downfall of Deathly Hallows. <laughs> Wow. Wow, Micah. Tone no. it down. Tone it down, Micah. On the same topic, when will the damn Harry Potter books appear in the ebook format? Because I'm sick of waiting. Well, why don't you go knock on your neighbor's door and ask her? Because she she's the one holding it yeah, back. Yeah, you're not well, snowed in anymore. You don't have an excuse. Well, I would, but a court order says I mustn't. 
<laughs> so that means you've tried before. <laughs> I'm not, not going to go into any detail. Um, the, well, that's a good question. The, they've been, they, they, I remember there was an article, what, about a year ago? Uh, a little, or what, what was it? What's her publishing company again? Bloomsbury. Not Bloomsbury. Uh, no, no, the, um, Christopher Little agency said that they are looking into, you know, the, these new technologies. Uh, yeah, apparently Joe was considering it. Yeah, right. So a lot of people were upset, soon. though. I, I, I mean, I saw a couple of emails that we got uh, that they had gotten a Kindle over the holidays, and they were looking to download the Potter books, and they weren't able to do it. Yeah, I, I would download all of them just to have them on. Um, I have an iPad, but I mean, still. Yeah, and you know what gets me about that is, you know, people are resorting to illegally obtaining the books for their e-readers now. Well, because they still want it, and they'll still f- search for it. Well, that's and most people know how to illegally obtain them. Well, that's no reason to do it, like officially, like not really. And and how would they improve their accessibility if they if they moved it to the Kindle? Would more people read it? Because I think so. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it reclaimed the top. Yeah, I mean, look how did. big the Harry Potter books are. I'm sure there's a group of people who look at the size of the books and like, oh, I don't want to carry that around. People who who do, you know, Kindles are very popular with people who travel because they're so small. You can hold all your books on them. You can download new books whenever you want, wherever you are. That that's a perfect um, example of a, a of a giant sized book that would do great on the Kindle because you don't have to carry it around. I know that sounds kind of lazy, no, no, but no, people that do actually, think that way. Yeah. In the age of the digital e-reader, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I get and, that. I get that. Now. When I got mine, the very first book I searched for was Harry Potter, and it was so disappointing when when they don't appear. And let's be honest, we all have like ten copies of each book anyway, <laughs> so. It's true. We definitely, I, I, I believe Richard when he says he would buy them for Kindle, and I, I would, I would buy the one, I would buy Goblet of Fire, since we're doing chapter by chapter for it. And, and J.K. Rowling, I mean, she's just killing trees by not right. moving wow. over tree to killer. Wow. She's not, she's not being... Tree killer. Uh, you know, but you know what, that's, maybe that's why they withheld uh, doing a Christmas tree at the Wizarding World of Harry Potter theme park these years. <laughs> she was like, that's the one right. tree I'll save. You know how Obama <laughs> yeah. saves, t- She's saves turkeys? So far. He, he, you know, he, 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 he pardons two, he pardons. two turkeys. Yeah. yeah, she pardoned a, a tree from being used for, for Harry Potter this year. Last that's year. sweet. Anything else, Micah? Well... Uh, there's just one other piece of news related uh, to Deathly Hallows that wasn't in here, but uh, uh, Alexander Desplat said that uh, he is about to begin composing uh, part two in a, in a recent interview with The Guardian. And uh, I guess that's exciting because it means that the movie is more or less wrapped up. No more... Uh, in terms of editing. Yeah, no more need for uh, epilogues to be reshot or anything else like that. Right, right. Cool, that's good news. Oh, guys, I got to tell you, I got an email the other day from movietickets.com. It says, Uh-oh, please- <laughs> not inviting you to another screening. Please attend a screening. And, Are you serious? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, okay, so I was in my um, vehicle. It was parked. I wasn't driving, and I got an email on my phone and looked it up, and I was like, oh, my God. So I got on the computer later on, and I, I, I downloaded the PDF where you have to, like, uh, sign, the sign in. Yeah, and but it told me that it was actually the dilemma. 
the the new Ron Howard film with Vince Vaughn and uh, Kevin James, um, mm. and it said right on the ticket. So I was like, there was a moment there where I was like, oh no, not not again. Um, well, you saw you saw part one in what August or September? It was about yeah, I think three months. So it's a little too early yet. If they're yeah. if they're gonna, I, I forget what the with Half Blood Prince what the timing was, but I feel like there still will be a screening in Chicago, and I'm probably going to miss it, and that's fine. But I just I it's 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 gearing up. Why? Because you couldn't possibly see three films three months early. No. Or will you not be in town in March? Oh no, I'll be in town. But I'm just I'm oh. well maybe not because I want to go see Dan on Broadway. It might be that week. I, I don't, <laughs> you see, I'm paralyzed. <laughs> I'm paralyzed. But um, but what I'm saying is, it, it got me reminded that that there's a new that there's a new film coming out, and and yeah. it'll be exciting. Well, we I I hope you get to see it early because it's it's always an exciting time when um. A, a big audience gets to see the film so early, and everyone seems to be so happy with it. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> so. and we get the reports, but um, also right. it's just something yeah. you wouldn't get to see any, uh, otherwise. Is the the special effects not being complete? You know, like I'm really waiting for a documentary on on, for instance, twelve year old Dan Radcliffe acting with a tennis ball. I want to see that, and that hasn't been in any of the extended editions, has it? Like on the uh, actually, yeah, no, I think the we've seen like the. The, the tennis ball on the stick for the house elf, I think they've showed that one. Oh, cool. Course. But okay. it wasn't a tennis ball. It was something a little bit bigger. Oh, I see. Okay. I don't know where exactly, but yeah. Anyway, so that's all for the news. Let's now get into chapter by chapter. We haven't done this for a while. Probably close to two months. Uh, if you, In case you forget, we're about, oh, I don't know. We're about halfway through Goblet of Fire now. On the last episode, we did chapter 16, 17, and 18. On this episode, we're doing chapters 19 and 20, and um, these chapters lead us into the beginning of the Triwizard Tournament. First chapter, chapter 19, the Hungarian Horntail, opens with Harry agreeing to meet Sirius via Fireplace, and uh, Harry's kind of down in the dumps at this time, because Rita's Rita Skeeter's article on Harry that was published in the Daily Prophet has no quotes actually said by Harry. And we're quickly getting an idea of how horrible of a reporter this woman is just to write a good story. She'll make up anything just to enhance the story, sort of like a tabloid would do. And in the real world, I was thinking about this in the real world. If someone were to be misquoted to this extreme, you could sue. You could sue them. Um, of course, we don't know how that would work within you know the Ministry of Magic and such, but that's definitely a big offense. And on top of this, Harry and Ron are still at odds, and Hermione tries to get them back together. Joe writes that Harry admits he liked Ron more than Hermione because they have a lot more fun together. <laughs> and I thought this this spoke volumes about the, the difference in relationships here. There's a clear difference between the two friendships. Ron and Harry, and guys, correct me if you think I'm wrong or whatever, Ron and Harry's relationship is platonic. Whereas I think Harry, Harry and Hermione is a bit more casual. Would you agree with that, Eric? I, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's casual between Hermione and Harry because they, they really do rely on each other. But more casual than Ron and, Ron and Harry. Like, would you say that Harry and Ron's relationship is platonic? I would say that all three members of the trio, um, are are into each other, but but I can see where Harry would feel that he has more fun with Ron. Um, Her, Hermione, the relationship with with Hermione is 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 more to to keep him. Uh, I want to say sane. 
in check. <laughs> well, keep him sane, and 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 you know, always rethinking. And, and the same same with Hermione and, and Ron. She keeps him in line. So I think they might not resent that, but they'll they'll certainly value. I think the 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 fun that they have with each other, um, perhaps more than Hermione. Hermione is the third wheel of the trio at this point. But I would say that Ron and Harry need Hermione much more than she needs them. That's that's probably very true. Um, although she goes off and does SPEW without them, and they think she's kind of crazy. Maybe that's also why Harry feels this way, because Hermione's kind of kind of going off in one of her tangents at this point. Yeah, I think part of it too is that for such a long time, when Harry was growing up, he didn't have any friends. So Ron is the real first friend he's had, and and so to be separated from that. You know, he wants to be with the person who he has the most fun with. I mean, think about how old they are, too. Um, you know, they're relatively young. And, and so I think, again, with Hermione, as it develops throughout the series, it's more sister-like. And, you know, she's the one who's there to pick him up and, and keep him on point and, and make sure that he's thinking the right way. Um, so, you know, she's, and again, she's the more bookish character and you see Harry has more fun. You know, it's like hanging out with the guys, you know, and with Ron, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, speaking of Hermione, she is vocal again. I think this is not the first time she's vocal about her dislike for Crumb. Is this the first time, or did she previously in the book? Can anyone remember? Um, well, when Ron is gaw- gawking over him at the, at the Quidditch World Cup. Uh, okay. All right. So, 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 like, yeah, she is skeptical from the beginning. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, again, she she denounces Crumb. And Hermione urges Harry to go with her to Hogsmeade to clear their minds because of all this, all this stuff going down with Ron and the, the battery to Skeeter article. Harry agrees, but is still insecure about the Reader article. So he wears his invisibility cloak because people are making fun of him anywhere he goes saying, Oh, you, you like Hermione? Ha ha ha. And, um, so while they're at Hogsmeade, Hagrid and Moody enter the scene, and it's revealed that Moody can see through the invisibility cloak, because, of course, he points out Harry, who's hiding under it. And Hagrid tells Harry to meet him at midnight at his hut. So, Harry does show up with with his invisibility cloak, and without any explanation, Hagrid sort of walks him over to Magsine's carriage, and, uh, from, at this point, Hagrid hasn't really said anything to Harry other than shh. Um, which, you know, classic Hagrid, where I don't think it's too well thought out, but hey, it worked out anyway, because Harry did stay quiet. So, Hagrid leads Maxine and Harry to the Four Dragons, which the champions will be competing against. Harry's jaw drops at the sight of all this, and he sees one of the people taking care of the dragons is Charlie Weasley. Now, my question here is, presumably, Hagrid knew where the dragons were because he Heads taking care of magical creatures. But did Dumbledore know Hagrid would tell Harry about the first task? Because it, it, it could it be argued that Dumbledore let this happen uh, to let Hagrid do the dirty work? Because it looks less bad if it's found out that Harry found out, but, oh, it was just Hagrid who led well, him to the dragon. Wasn't it... Wasn't it Moody who told Hagrid to tell Harry about the dragons? At least in the movie, that's that what was he in the says. Book as well, because yeah, because he takes credit for 
uh, for instance, giving Neville the book about the gillyweed that Neville passed to Harry. It's actually Moody slash Barty Crouch Jr. getting Harry, uh, giving Harry the competitive edge. Oh, right. Because he does end up helping with every task. Yeah. So, yeah. If if none of the contestants found out about the dragons, uh, I just wonder, would they not all probably have died? (laughs) Uh... It's, 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 well, maybe that's one well, of the that's another thing. Moody mentions place. later on in, in the next chapter, uh, that there is a lot of cheating going on in the, uh, tr- cheating has always been a thing that happens in the Triwizard Tournament. So, it's, yeah, I, but on maybe, that, I maybe Dumbledore if, expected Harry and everyone to find out. I always wondered if that was more Barty Crouch talking than, uh, Moody just to kind of, you know, make Harry feel a little bit more at ease about the cheating that was going on. Mm. But I'm not That's... surprised it's happening because look at Madame Maxine and Karkaroff telling telling their students, presumably, that uh, they, they were facing dragons. Well, especially with this, and, and in the books, it does seem pretty. Uh, you know, they seem pretty guilty that 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 they just go and tell their charges. Karkaroff and uh, you know Maxime are just flat right, flat out telling. They're champions. But I think with the next challenge, at least, you know, the they have the clue of the egg. And they have to unlock the clue of the egg. And so they, they're actually given the answer to what their next task is. Whereas this time, and this is arguably the most dangerous because it's dragons, you know, you need time to prepare for exactly. that. You need to figure out how you're going to survive a dragon. And unlike the second challenge with the egg, there's really no way to prepare for for it if you don't know what's going to happen and and it's not something you can just you know weasel your way out of i mean even harry had to really you know focus his mind on it can i just go back to one thing that was brought up andrew you brought it up just before with the invisibility cloak i know moody can see through them but with this we now know to be a deathly hallow how can moody see through it yeah, when Death couldn't, but Moody can. Well, Death didn't have the crazy goofy. Yeah. If he did, then he'd be a that lot must more be proficient. It. Well, that must be it, right? I mean, there's no well, other that's explanation. That's the only logical. Yeah. yeah. Unless. So. I mean, unless Moody was there anyway. Or, or Moody was aware that Harry was with Hermione anyway. That's possible. And he just assumed, oh, he must be wearing the cloak. I think that's a plot hole. Well, I think well we've mm. we've had Dumbledore and cats, you know, like Mrs. Norris kind of look at slash towards Harry, you know, while he's under the invisibility cloak. And I think with Dumbledore, it was probably sensing magic. Like he's probably got a magic ometer where he's like, oh, I can see somebody else is in this room, or maybe like, you know, he's well, yeah, after all, magically Dumbledore traces. was also in possession of one of the other Hallows. Oh, well, that Hallow in 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 specificity and the ring but he did have the invisibility cloak he is he studied the invisibility well, no, I'm saying, cloak for quite some does time does one so. hallow allow you to sense another if he had the elder wand maybe you know like the scene in chamber of secrets when he comes into hagrid's hut with uh malfoy and fudge and he knows that harry and ron are hiding uh you know in the corner there they're under the invisibility cloak how does he know that Mm. I get the impression that throughout yeah. the series, uh, uh, Dumbledore has been watching Harry in sort of third person for quite a while. I can just sort of imagine him watching. What like do you mean third person? He's got some sort of security camera always pointed at Harry. Seriously? <laughs> <laughs> in a non-creepy they don't way. Have cameras. Um, I just did a quick search on the HP lexicon about Moody and his his magical eye, 
And uh, they they just make note that it can see invisible things and through solid ob- objects, include the back of his head. So, I mean, clearly he has one unique eye uh, that, that death did not. Anyway, moving along, um, on Harry's way back to the castle, he runs into Karkaroff, who Harry assumes is going to see the dragons for himself. He realizes this means the only person who won't know about the dragons will be Cedric. And um, this is kind of... It made me think that this kind of hint that Cedric will be having a lot of bad luck in this tournament, even though Harry does end up telling Cedric, uh, being the Gryffindor that he is, ends up telling Cedric about the the dragons. But, you know, in this case, Cedric was almost the one who was left out. (laughs) Sort of like in the final task. While talking to Sirius uh, back up in the Gryffindor common room, it's revealed that Karkaroff was a Death Eater, and Sirius believes he puts... He put Harry's name in the goblet, and Sirius goes on to suggest that Dumbledore brought and uh, brought Moody in to keep an eye on Karkaroff, since Moody was the one keeping an eye on him in Azkaban. Uh, Moody being the R that he was, and now that made me think: if that's the case, this is a big hint that this Moody is not the real Moody because he's not doing his job. He uh, he got away, Karkaroff got away with putting his name in the goblet, allegedly. And um, then also Karkaroff being able to run off and uh, to see what the first task was all about. Well, this gets back to what we were talking about previously on Chapter by Chapter, when we said, well, how can Dumbledore allow Harry to complete? There's this talk about these rules being binding, it's a magical contract, da-da-da-da-da. But what I'm saying is that if Moody... You know, you can play this off as, well, Moody just, uh, per Dumbledore's request, laid off Karkaroff about this whole incident because Dumbledore didn't know what was going on. But the question is, doesn't Dumbledore want to know what's going on? And wouldn't Dumbledore be looking at, at Karkaroff even more intensely than Moody should be and is not? So what's going on there with, with you know, who are, is it an active investigation or are they just waiting it out? I I agree with you. It's it's it, especially during this time when people are sort of getting the idea that Voldemort is back. You know, when a red flag goes up like this, you know, oh Harry's name suddenly. Not only is he in the Triwizard Tournament under the age, but he's also the fourth one. There should definitely be some huge foul play here, and it's it's it uh you know as a red flag, and it's ridiculous that Dumbledore it even let this happen. Shouldn't they cancel Hogwarts? So, so I think no. You know, Mo- Moody not going well. Cancel Hogwarts. You know, they can- You're cancel. They the cancel tor- Quidditch. Oh, well, I don't know. You can't cancel the tournament. The, the rules are absolute. Um, but yeah, I think Moody. You know, the reason can be maybe Dumbledore just said lay off Karkaroff. We don't think he did it that much, or otherwise he'd be gone. You know, right. I don't think the rules mean that much, considering that everyone is obviously cheating. Yeah, this whole game seems pretty corrupt. At least this tournament. Basically, Harry <laughs> so. could just go, yeah, I don't want that egg. You know, screw you, dragon. I'm just going to stay right here in my enclosure. And that's it. He just gets no but points. But then he would get no points. He would get no points. He would have he would, he would have no chance at that eternal glory cupcake. But he's going to be safe. But no cupcakes. Maybe he's on a diet. Maybe it's a maybe it's a soy vegan cupcake. <laughs> Sirius finally suggests that Voldemort may be in bed with Karkaroff, and this is all a plan to kill Harry. So some very who's in bed with who? Siri- uh, Voldemort's in bed with Karkaroff. Just slash fiction. That's just a metaphor. It's not really, you know, not literally. I don't mean that literally. But he uses it. 
right? Yeah. He says that. And so after you hear all this information from Sirius, do you think, did anyone think, Micah, did you think, has Dumbledore considered any of this information yet? What What is going through his head? His head. Like I just said, it's despicable that Dumbledore has been letting this go on. Yeah, I think it goes back to what you just said and, and just not really taking into consideration the enormous red flags that have been raised since this tournament began. And uh, Karkaroff is a former Death Eater, but, you know, it goes also goes back to Dumbledore seeing the best in people. And, you know, Karkaroff has denounced Voldemort. He's gone on to head up Durmstrang and, you know, supposedly has no more ties uh, to the Death Eaters or, or anybody associated with Voldemort. So I, I think it's another one of those situations where uh, you look at the relationships and, and Dumbledore just being a trustworthy person and, and not wanting to think the worst in people. I don't know. Actually, I think, I think it's the opposite. I think Dumbledore knew what was going on and let it happen deliberately. He, Dumbledore always said that he foresaw that Voldemort would come back, and he knew about the prophecy. He knew that it was going to come down to Harry and Voldemort. I suspect he just realised that this was the natural play of events happening, and he just hoped for the best. He, as you put down, Andrew, he always ha- intended for Harry to be a pig for slaughter. So I think that's exactly what he was doing, and he knew that if Voldemort was to ever return with Harry's blood then that would give Harry a weapon. Hmm. Well, I think, I th- I'm think i thinking of two things. One, Harry's just first hearing that Karkaroff was a Death Eater. Of course, Harry's going to react strongly to that. You know, he's going to be like, oh my gosh, there's this ex-Death Eater that's right, like, living right next to me in the castle. Of course, he's going to be freaked out about it because, you know, he's just finding out this information from Sirius. Meanwhile, the adults all already knew this, and it kind of fits with, with Dumbledore's goal to, to, you know, magical international cooperation, where you kind of have to even work with your maybe former enemies and, and spirit of cooperation to actually get past this. And I, th- I think that that's, in a way, how Dumbledore feels. It's a good excuse to, to have Death Eaters running amok in the castle. Or ex-Death Eaters, I should say. I doubt, um, I doubt Dumbledore really suspected Karkaroff of much, given how cowardly he was at his trial. Well, then there's the issue of Moody and how Dumbledore didn't look any closer at Moody. You know, I mean, did Barty Crouch Jr. really pull off that good of an impersonation for... 300 or 180 days. I suspect Dumbledore you know, like began to suspect more and more as time went on. And by th- right. at the very and end, kinda... he, he was obviously he was, he was convinced. So Sirius is about to tell Harry a way to defeat the dragon. And he says, oh, it's very simple. And, but of course, perfect timing, Ron enters, and so Sirius and Harry panic, and Sirius disappears. Ron and Harry get in a tiff, and the chapter ends. Do you think Sirius was about to tell him to Accio something from outside of the stadium? Cause no, the, he tells you what, what it was. It was the what was conjunctivus it? curse. Hex. The one. The, what, oh, when 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 is it told? It's told later in the book. Wasn't that what that Sirius later said? Oh, that's what I was going to suggest. Oh, the one. Yeah, when yeah, they're in the cave, what... they meet up later on. Yeah, it was the one that Fleur did. No, Crumb. Oh, sorry, Crumb did. Crumb, yeah, Crumb did it. Yeah, yeah. That's what Sirius was going to suggest. All right. Well, there's our answer. Even though uh, I'm trying to remember. Well, we'll find out in the next chapter. I think who got that? Oh, Harry and. Well, I won't spoil it. Go ahead, Don't Mike. Spoil the first it. task. Give it to us. <laughs> chapter twenty. All right. So uh, we move on to chapter twenty, and the first task of the Triwizard Tournament is finally here. 
the chapter opens with Hermione helping Harry prep uh, for this task against the dragon. And uh, one of the books that they research is called Men Who Love Dragons Too Much. And uh, I was wondering, was this written by Charlie Weasley or, you know, perhaps uh, something that uh, he found quite interesting during his time at Hogwarts or afterward? I'm sure he found it quite interesting. Sure. Well, J.K. Rowling <laughs> said that uh, in an interview, that uh, that was his passion in life. Was was Charlie Weasley? Was dragons. I'm sorry, I can't even... I can't even... Never uh, married. Yeah, it was, was dragons. dragons. That's all he cared about. Never married. Yeah, I think... Um, I keep thinking of this Wizard Rock song, which is called 1991, colon, Charlie Weasley, by the artist Tonks and the Aurors, and it's all about this. It's about unrequited love. Some girl's really into Charlie Weasley, but, like, for her birthday, he gets her a dragon skull, and for their anniversary, he just forgot the anniversary, because he's he's too into dragons. That's what it's about. It's a great song. Um, But, yeah, I think that this definitely uh, fits with the lifestyle that Charlie Weasley has chosen for himself. one question, though, is if you if Ron was there, do you think they'd be taking a little bit more of a practical approach on how to defeat the dragon as opposed to you know looking in books? Because this doesn't really seem like something you're going to find an answer to in a book. Why not? I thought it would be quite an easy thing to find an answer to. I'm surprised it didn't find Yeah, like self-defense. Self-defense if you ever encounter a dragon. Sure. What to do when you know a dragon is coming? I guess. I guess. Uh, so going back to Andrew's point in the last chapter, uh, Crumb shows up. Uh, with his fan club, and uh, of course, this really ticks Hermione off, and uh, so we ke- continue to see that uh, she's not really happy. Now, I guess we can assume that she's not very happy because um, she, in fact, likes Crom and doesn't like seeing the attention uh, that he's getting from all these other girls. Is that pretty accurate? I think it's I think it's more the noise of of her of the, those girls distracting Hermione when she's trying to think. Yeah, that could be the a noise. Too. Um, and, uh, of course, she makes the comment, his fan club will be here in a moment, twittering away. And I thought, Twitter? <laughs> J.K. Rowling That's could have hit a goldmine, another goldmine. I when know. This book re- when was this book released? J.K.R. Like 2000? This, 2000. Yeah, t- 2001, yeah. maybe? No, 2000. 2000, oh, okay. Yeah, so, I mean... When did Twitter come out? Seven years later? J.K. Rowling could have could have been swimming <laughs> in, Rowling in billions of more dollars than she yeah. currently has. And she kind of she kind of used the word correctly too in the way that you would expect with twitter.com like they like twittering like oh my god crumb tweet you know where with at @reply victor crumb <laughs> right. so uh, again another point that Andrew mentioned uh, in the last chapter um Harry ends up letting Cedric know about the dragons and uh you know what does this say about his character because you know with the way he's been treated not necessarily by Cedric but by you know the other houses uh and even some people in Gryffindor he's kind of been treated pretty badly um so you know this could have given him an easy leg up over Cedric but again he decided that the right thing to do was to go and tell him but i don't think Harry's in this for the competition he's been stuck in it no he's he's in it to live exactly that's it i don't think he cares about winning hey, hey. Harry is an equal opportunity provider. He's the kind of guy. Well, and he, he that, was sure the, that was the Gryffindor in him, you know. But well, well, that and Cedric is. It's unlike the other students. Cedric is part of Hogwarts too, and it would look bad in the grand scheme of things if Hogwarts two of four champions are from Hogwarts, and if Hogwarts didn't win. I don't know. I think Harry is just innately good and doesn't really consider anything like that. So uh, after he uh, tells Cedric about the dragons, uh, Moody 
kind of comes around the corner and, and reveals that he was eavesdropping on the conversation, and uh, he brings Harry along to his office, saying what a great thing it was uh, that uh, Harry had just done. Uh, but we get our first look at his dark detectors, a, a number of different objects that he has around his office, and uh, I thought he offered a bunch of lies uh, about uh, the secrecy sensor and the sneakoscope, because clearly they would both be detecting him, and uh, so he, he kind of feeds Harry uh, a little bit of uh, BS about uh, why they're not working properly. And what do you guys think? Yeah, because he said he deactivated them all from students cheating in exams or something like that. Right. <laughs> Which seems like a, funny. A, a pretty lame excuse, you know, to say, oh, well, with all the lying that's going on around this school with uh, students uh, at every corner, of course these things don't work. Oh. No, I, I I liked that a lot, actually. Did you really? I did, though, because it just seems like that would be this. You're in a you're in a secondary school, or like That's you true. know middle school, you know, on up. Well, well that There's gets rid of the, 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 the what the secrecy sensor. But what about the sneakoscope? Well, the sneakoscope. Well, doesn't Harry have one of those and it never works, or he keeps it in a sock? I mean. Yeah, they're not reliable. They're not very reliable to give. And then there's the the issue of allegiance. Where whose sneakoscope is it? If it were the real Professor Moody's sneakoscope, it would go off when Barty Crouch Jr. is nearby. But if it were Barty Crouch Jr.'s sneakoscope, then it wouldn't, right? In theory, yeah. Because it's 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 only let it's letting Barty Crouch Jr. know when somebody's sneaking. So so it just depends on whose it is and. I don't really understand. It's like just telling us something with these dark detectors, and obviously, like the faux glass becomes important later. But it, it's really all subjective because you just you just don't know what to make out of it. It's one of those things where it's a really cool thing to to read and have, but you can't get the full picture just by looking at that. Right, and and we do um, also get just, a, a look at the faux glass, and uh, you know we we can talk about this a little bit, but uh, it, you know it, it what it does is it reveals you know true allegiances. And, uh, you know, and, and kind of weeds out those who are, who are fake or have ill intent. And, you know, it, it later reveals what Snape's true allegiance is. And, you know, people went back to this as, as, as kind of a, a sticking point, you know, when Deathly Hallows had yet to come out to, to kind of debate one way or the other, is Snape good or is he evil? And a lot of people, a lot of things that we saw, use this particular scene, uh, or, or not this scene, but the scene at the end of Goblet of Fire, where McGonagall and Dumbledore and Snape bust into Moody's office, and uh, you see all three of them very clearly in the faux glass. Maybe, um, in that case, Voldemort should have got one of those faux glasses, and then he yeah, would have known whether or not Snape would stab him in the back. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. But but wouldn't everybody show up in Voldemort's faux glass because he's really he has no friends he's all for himself. That's also very true. Maybe they don't work on him. Now uh, during this meeting, uh, Moody tells Harry cheating is common in the Triwizard Tournament. We spoke a little bit about this before, um, but should this be the case? I mean, this is not your typical, um, you know, Quidditch match or something along those lines. This seems like this is a very drawn out, lengthy event between a number of different schools. So. You would expect there to be a little bit of foul play going on. Nothing that's going to really alter the tournament that drastically, but, you know, so a little small move here and there. Well, in this case, the cheating allows them to actually prepare for the tasks. When tasks are set three or four months apart at a time, there's also more time for the secrets to get out. 
and it's it's a lot harder to keep something, well, especially a dragon, under wraps, so to speak, and literally. Yeah. And it's huge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's big. So Moody does give Harry some advice uh, during this meeting that they have, and you know he eventually puts everything together, and he begins to practice a summoning charm. And, of course, he's going to use this later on to get his firebolt and be able to uh, get around the dragon and, and capture the egg. Uh, but I wanted to point out some movie differences uh, that take place with respect to the first task. Uh, Barty Crouch Sr. replaces Ludo Bagman uh, for the selecting of the dragons. And I was wondering why he was never cast. I mean, he plays a relatively large role in the book, but uh, we never see him at all in the movie. I think I remember senior. No, Ludo Bagman. For uh, um, for Goblet of Fire, I think I remember the the director saying that um, any scene that didn't really involve Harry was just cut automatically. And if a character didn't really involve Harry, because Ludo Bagman was more to do with the twins chasing him, then they just cut it. I think yeah, and I think they they stick with that for most of the films too. If it doesn't involve Harry, let's put it on the chopping block. I'm, I'm glad this change was made, though, because when Barty Crouch Sr., isn't it, like, Fleur pulls out the, the Chinese um, dragon, and, and Barty Crouch Jr. Sr. is like, ooh. <laughs> well, he was completely demented in that movie. Um, ooh. I, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and Harry also, you know, in that scene, he never utters aloud what dragon he has. Because if you remember, Barty Crouch Sr. turns to him and says, uh, you know, what does he say, excuse me, or what? You know, because Harry knew the Hungarian Horntail was the last dragon that was in there. Um, but oh, yeah, but yeah. Harry, in the book, keeps it to himself. Um, Rita Skeeter never shows up in the tent before the challenge. She actually shows up when Harry and Ron are on their way back into uh, the Great Hall. Um, the well, drag- hang on. In the movie or in the book? What's that? She doesn't. She, she doesn't show up in the tent before the challenge in the book. She does in the movie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. In the book, she shows up when they're on their way back to the castle. Um, the dragon chase scene never happened in the book. Obviously, that was you know made for the uh, movie screen, and it, I think it worked, right? I think it worked well um, because it, there's this logistics of having a dragon in a small enclosed area to actually be able to show. Like they would have had to place cameras in the crowd, you know, essentially like for the whole thing to see a dragon, this huge dragon that's pretty much the size of the ring, from what I gather, is is just floating above the ring. It doesn't seem it doesn't seem realistic that the dragon would hover like that that's all the dragon would do like he needs to have room to swipe and sweep i like what they did i like the dragon chase scene all right and then the scene between hermione ron and harry that takes place in the common room uh not the tent uh, of course it takes place in the common room in the movie it takes place in the tent right afterwards uh in the book so a little well uh there's an easy explanation for that one and they wanted to get people ready for a lot of 10 action in the seventh film so <laughs> they wrote they wrote they all wrote, this wrote goblet fire 10 action yeah so um, that's easy. so but when th- those are just some uh, of the differences um but going back to you know when harry first gets down to the tent uh, Bagman seems very, very interested in helping Harry. And so I was wondering, does he have a little bit of money on the match? You know, he kind of gives them the, Probably. these underhanded reasons, uh, for, oh, well, you know, uh, you know, you must be nervous or, uh, you know, you, you got thrown into this and, uh, 
you know, he, he seems like he's willing to do anything to help out Harry. And uh, I can't remember later if it's revealed that he has money he on d- it. But I, yeah, I he did. He it. was trying to. He did. He was trying to pay off all his debts by betting on Harry to win. <laughs> well, maybe Ludo put his name in the Goblet of Fire. There's a lot of gambling going on in this book, so that would not surprise me. A lot of a lot of just bad things are happening in this book. Um, and you know what? It, good. Well, I I was just going to say to sum up these two chapters. I know you're not done yet, but there's a lot of new information going on in this, uh, being shared in these two chapters, which was nice to see. Yeah. And uh, so we get to the actual task itself, and uh, it, it's actually a bit uneventful. Um, you know, compared to the movie where you have the chase scene, uh, and, and Harry ends up getting the egg, and uh, you get a, a little bit of a picture about how much McGonagall actually cares for Harry. Uh, she has a shaky sort of voice before the task when she leads him down to the tent, and then her hand shook as he pointed, as she pointed rather, uh, at his shoulder. You know, after he's uh, he's a bit injured uh, from the dragon in the in that uh, in that task, so. Um, you know, and again, I don't know if that goes back to Sorcerer's Stone, uh, you know, when she's there the night that uh, they deliver him to the Dursleys, or, or really, you know, what do you guys think? I think I think she's aware very clearly that he has been marked for death, that this boy can just not catch a break. It's true, and little does she know because of the, you know, the prophecy, the specifics, but, you know, because Dumbledore won't tell her that. But I feel like she really does feel bad for Harry, and she really is looking after him. She's she's the purest, like, he can rely on that, you know? Yeah. She she really feels bad for him. She knows that he's been marked for these these great, terrible things. But she, it also seems that she cares for him more than, you know, just a teacher would care for their student. That's true. And um, I think in book three, when, when she refuses to sign his Hogsmeade permission slip, it's the same deal, where she doesn't want to put him in any more, any more danger than, than he normally would be. Um, you know, she wants to keep him safe in the castle as opposed to roaming the grounds. And it's just this, this mother, this trend of her to be, to be really, you know, caring for him because there's nobody else, especially at Hogwarts, to really look after Harry, who's, who's capable. I mean, there's Hermione, but she's not an adult. Right. But you also see it in Deathly Hallows as well when Harry comes to her defense. You know, it's kind of reciprocated in that way. Um, Which is nice. And so, uh, as mentioned, just to wrap it up, Harry does get the egg, and he's greeted afterwards by Hermione and Ron, and uh, they end up patching things up. So uh, Harry now has Ron Shoo! back at his side, heading into Chapter 21, and mentioned Rita Skeeter tries to uh, get a quote or a little bit of a story from Harry on the way back up to the castle, but he basically tells her to uh, GFH. And that's Chapter by Chapter this week. And if you have any feedback about what we discussed today, feel free to mosey on over to MuggleCast.com. And there you can click on Contact at the top and share, fill out, the, fill out the feedback form and share your feedback, whether you agree or disagree with anything we said, if you have other ideas, etc. Today's Twitter question, we asked you, the loyal listener, out of all the books, which big plot cut from the films upset you the most? Because we... we kind of briefly touched on it in chapter by chapter this week with some uh, book to film differences and I thought well have we ever asked this question I, I don't think we have um, Ray Love Nexus wrote there is no Quidditch in Order of the Phoenix Elizabeth 515 wrote movie 3 who the original Marauders were and that Harry's dad was one 
that he knew Sirius and Lupin. Those are all pretty big. Uh, and she items. she fit them all into one tweet too, which is yeah pretty amazing. <laughs> what, what would have been the point of including Quidditch in Order of the Phoenix? I mean, Umbridge bans it anyway, though. Well, people that. just like to watch Quidditch. I think. Well, there's so much going on in Quidditch. Like even in what was it movie uh, four or no movie three? They're just in the rain. That one scene, you know, it, it goes by so fast. There's just so much else going in the in the in the movie. Like even if they had put Quidditch in, what would it mean? What would it amount to? Um, with the exception of the, what is it? Weasley is our king, or is that book six too? I mean, I, is that book five in the books? That's book five. Vanilla Face, Vanillar for Face wrote spew, s p e w. It showed Hermione's Gryffindorness and her passion and strong sense of right and wrong, and made her a character in her own right. David Heyman well has said. a response for this <laughs> from what our episode two, from, from our episode two hundred. Was like, but if you include those things, the film would be like eight hours long. And and he <laughs> yeah, was like, we know. But but he was sincere. He was sincere about it. He was like, you know, it really would be. And I don't know, like a lot of house elves, like it would just think of the trailer, like where they go down to the kitchens and there's hi Harry Potter and all the house elves say hi Harry Potter. Is is it'd be weird? It would it would be done. It would have been cheesy in the film because that's where the. That's where I think that's what Newell would have done it as what would be like a kind of because remember, even the students in, in movie four are like hooligans, like soccer hooligans. So so the uh, they're so they're so big and, and tall. And and uh, I think that the house elves just would have been kind of crazy. There was no there's no room for them in that film. You know, sparkly Patronus wrote, I think in order of the Phoenix, I hated when they cut Lily from Snape's memory. That was another big one that people were looking forward to. Sort of an half-blood prince, too. We were looking for that backstory, but we didn't get as much as we had hoped. Mm. Yeah. Um, that was my the biggest fact that cut. Snape's memory was... Yeah? Yeah, when they cut most of the... You know, most... Actually, I take that back. It was actually when they cut all the 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 pensive scenes. They cut most yeah. of them, at least. That was, yeah, they did. That was like a slaughter. Well, how... But I think the ones that they had were really well done. Didn't they only have, Slug like, one? and... Well, right. Slughorn and Tom Riddle, that was so good. Yeah, as much as I would like to see the Gaunts. And know, the Orphanage like, one was well done, the too, orphan- I thought. Yeah, that's true. There was two. Um, but Hepzibah Smith, I mean, that's a big cut, because I don't know how they're going to explain it in uh, part two. HF Sergeant wrote, it's got to be the Marauders. That was my favorite part of Prisoner of Azkaban. And it was pretty much, it was just pretty much absent. Yeah, um, Micah, has Deathly Hallows Part 1 beat out Prisoner of Azkaban as highest grossing yet? Oh, yeah. I mean, Prisoner of Azkaban, I don't, I don't even know that it's in the top 25 anymore. I don't think it is. Okay. You know, a lot of, I'm looking through all the Twitter responses. A lot of people said the Marauders. They were really looking yeah. forward to the Marauders. And I don't think and we, uh, uh, did we talk to David Heyman about that at all? I can't remember, but that, that for me oh, is, is the biggest cut. And, and it was, it was a senseless cut by, uh, Alfonso to to do that because I, I thought it's such an easy thing to include. You're talking about maybe five to ten minutes more. Th- explaining that Harry has family and that his family was was that he's no different from his family. It's this really comforting moment. And Alfonso, I feel was or the, even the filmmakers, all the filmmakers at that time for that film were going for a more whimsy. You know, look at the kind of stuff Harry gets thrown into. It's funny. Watch the tree kill so, the bird. I mean, <laughs> thing. A lot of people also mentioned Winky being cut out of Goblet of Fire. And, you know, I have to agree. Me personally, SPW, I was in love with that. Um, 
chapter or that whole that whole plot in Goblet of Fire, and we'll talk about it more next week because uh, uh, or next episode because the next chapter is about SPW, and um, yes, yeah, so that that was upsetting for me personally. So those are some Twitter responses. If you'd like to get in on this Twitter action that we that you know when we ask a question on Twitter and then we read your responses, just follow us on Twitter. Our handle is twitter.com slash MuggleCast. Let's get to some Muggle Mail now. This first one comes from Cassandra, 14, of California. She writes, Next year I will be entering high school. I'm currently freaked out about finals, tests, friends, and just the overall process of transitioning into high school. Throughout these times, though, it's you amazing people who keep me smiling. When I'm struggling with friendships, I know that I can always count on you guys to make me laugh and brighten up my day. I'm the kind of person who will randomly burst out into uncontrollable fits of laughter in the middle of class because I'm remembering something hilarious from last month's MuggleCast episode. You all are like my own little circle of Harry Potter BFFs, even though I've never met half of you. Each host has their own unique personality, which really shows how amazing you are as a whole. I'm so fortunate that Harry Potter and MuggleCast have been a part of my childhood, even though the movies will soon come to a close. I know the fandom will never end because it will live on in the hearts of Harry Potter fans. And that it will only grow stronger as generations of children after us stumble upon the Harry Potter books for years to come. Keep up the amazing work. Love, Cassandra. And she says, P.S. Andrew, do you think you could do another one of your Emma Watson impressions like you did in episode 204? That would really make my day. Thanks. You're the best. So this was kind of a, this was a chicken soup. But for some reason it was in Muggle Mail. (laughs) That was my fault. And the person clearly adores you, Andrew. I... She mentioned that. She mentioned me at the end. I've never heard this impression. I'm trying to think what it was. I think it was like her Twitter. Here, let me look at her most recent tweets and I'll say, I'll read one of them. You're stalking one of our followers. (laughs) Happy New Year, everyone. Hope you all had a good one. X. Great job. Great job. X. The the X. Hi, guys. Are you all ready for Christmas? Not long to go now. Exam's all done and I'm back in the UK in six inches. Six inches of snow, I'm sure she meant. Just cut off after. I'm back in the UK in six inches. Oh, you're reading and You're reading Emma Watson's tweets. That was an unfortunate cutoff on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the snow is pretty, but am I able to get out tonight? That's a horrible impression. I hope I hope that's the one I did on, <laughs> on episode 204, because uh, then you'll like it. Otherwise... Oh, it's well. like listening to a human laxative. <laughs> oh. Sorry, Richard. What? Uh. Uh, Eric, could you read the next email, please? This one comes from Ellie, age 16, of Pennsylvania. Hey. Um, wow. Okay, dear MogoCast guys, two quick things. First, on your last episode, 217, I was happy to hear that one of the emails you received used the phrase, Super Mega Foxy Awesome Hot. But I was extremely disappointed that you guys didn't know where it came from, or if you did, you didn't acknowledge it. The phrase is from a very Potter musical, and it's Harry, played by Darren Chris's description of Cho Chang. Super mega, foxy, awesome, hot. And this leads me to my second point. You guys really should talk about Team Star Kid, the guys who brought us a very Potter musical and a very Potter sequel, both of which have a huge following in the Potter fandom. As far as I know, you've only mentioned a very Potter musical once on a show, and a very Potter sequel not at all. This just can't be. Star Kid has become a huge part of the Potter fandom for a lot of people, and it needs to be acknowledged. This summer, I was excited 
if not more so for the release of the second musical on YouTube, than I was for the release of the seventh Harry Potter film. I'm sure I speak for many MogulCast slash StarKid fans when I say I'd love it if you guys mention Team StarKid on the show every once in a while, since even though they aren't technically a real part of the fandom, they're still definitely a part. Thanks, you guys. Love the show. Yeah, so uh, she's absolutely right. The Harry, uh, the, a Harry Potter musical has... A very Potter musical, excuse me, has become very popular. It's been huge on YouTube. Um, I'm looking at the play now. Each act of the play has pretty much at least a million views. Uh, and it has a huge following because there's some really great songs. It was just funny. And, and I think the timing seemed right. Uh, the concept of a Harry Potter musical is one that our fandom could really embrace. So if you haven't checked out a very Potter musical, you should, you and should. It's sequel. And a sequel, a very Potter sequel. But we will warn, they are both three hours long. It's it's insane, but it's good. They're At both least very good. check out the opening scene of the first one. I think that'll give you a good impression of what what's to come. It's it's well written. Uh like I said, the the songs are pretty good. And the cast you know, it's just it's just a good part of the fandom. Go to if you want to check it out, you can go to youtube.com slash starkidpotter. So youtube.com slash starkidpotter. Then you can click a very Potter musical on the right. And by the way, we have mentioned them on MuggleNet before. Um, they've been in our um, year in reviews, both the 2009 and 2010 year in reviews under the uh, videos of the year. It's true. So uh, it's not like we've ignored them or anything. And and uh, Darren Chris, the lead, was at the Deathly Hallows premiere in November in New York City. And... Um, we made a news post about that, our little interview with him, and he was very excited to see the fan sites there on the red carpet, as we were excited to see him. So, that's the very Potter musical craze. Andrew, did you um, did you get my text? You got to keep that in. It's a, it's a musical reference. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, what? I checked my phone, and no, I did not get a text. Okay, Micah, could you read the next email? Next email comes from Robin, 19, of England, and she says, Hey, I'm unsure if you have mentioned discussed this in the previous MuggleCast, and I apologize if so. But anyways, I saw The Deathly Hallows Part 1 recently, and I left the cinema feeling that Dobby was meant to symbolize or be an analogy for the children who are killed in war. I thought that the film had a very political feel to it, for example, the emphasis on propaganda and the sculpture of oppression in the ministry found that the way in which Harry cradled him emphasized the analogy. Uh, and I also thought the way that Hermione passed his body wrapped in the sheet to Harry was very moving in how she took so much care in doing so. His body was so small. I was just curious to know whether you guys felt this or anything similar. Thanks for providing hours of enjoyable listening. I think that's a cool idea. I agree with that. I, I think... like a child. Yeah, it is like a child. I, th- I feel like we will see more of that in part two with, obviously, some of the younger students that do not make it um, at the end of the war. But I, I, I don't think the film did have an em- like an emphasis on propaganda, as this email writes, because I feel like the book was even more so about the propaganda um, than, you know, in the movie. It is, I want to say it's still glossed over in the movie. Um, there's that scene where it's really intense, but I think the book much more so was about where the world is in terms of, you know, Nazism and, and evoking that, that historical, uh, those historical ideas. I think the book was even more intense. Uh, Richard, could you read the next email, please, from Caroline? 
from Caroline, age 13, from Illinois. And this year, the 6th, 7th, and 8th grade classes went to Springfield, Illinois. It's a four-hour bus ride from our extremely small, so small, that 6th, 7th, 8th grades plus the chaperones and teachers fit on one bus. And we went on a school trip to Springfield. The bus we took to Springfield was probably the weirdest place I've ever listened to MuggleCast. Whenever I would laugh because one of the hosts said something funny, I would get strange looks from everyone on the bus because I had no idea what I was laughing at. Thanks for putting a smile on my face whenever I listened to the show, Caroline. Nice little story. And finally today from Zoe, age 15. Well, let me try it again. And finally today before a chicken soup. This is this next one from is from Zoe, 15 of Texas. Hey, guys, I've just started listening, but I'm already addicted to your show. Anyway, I wanted your opinions on something in Deathly Hallows Part 1. As I'm a diehard Ron and Hermione shipper, in the book, during the Malfoy Manor torture scene, I distinctively remember how Ron was sobbing and kept yelling Hermione's name. I was really looking forward to seeing that on the big screen as I thought it was a very touching moment. But when I saw the movie, all I got from Ron in the scene was more angst. Do you think they cut it out because they felt it was unnecessary to the plot? Or because Rupert is even worse than Dana crying on cue? I'd love to know what your thoughts were on this. Again, love the show and take care. I doubt he's worse than Dan at acting. Oh, <laughs> wow. Horrible. Just had to get that in there. <laughs> well, you did it. You did it. It's done now, Richard. There's no going back. I There's... thought Rupert was great. It was a great actor in this film. I made that clear before. Yeah, absolutely. Micah, what do you think? I think she's not the only one that wrote in about this. A lot of people said that it was a point that was left out, and I don't see why they couldn't have included it. I mean, they showed enough shots of them down there, um, you know, with the other uh, the other characters, and so maybe it's maybe they don't want to show Ron as a weak character. I mean, well, no, it's, you don't. I, I don't feel like that's the case. I feel like remember, guys. I mean, we 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 we've posted news about this. Everybody, the filmmakers, all of them, including the actors on set, were really creeped out by Emma and Helena Bonham right. Carter's torture scene. Right. They they didn't know how much of it to include. Uh, David Heyman likened it to a Saw film in its original unedited form. Emma and, and Helena, when 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 Bellatrix is torturing Hermione, it was it was just this thing that they went with. And, and, and it scared all of them that I think this whole scene, you know, if something's cut out, like Ron crying, I think it's because they just didn't want to make it any more intense than they felt it really was. And I, I, I think, you know, the final product in the film is, is okay. I feel like they could have pushed the envelope a little bit further, but every, all the reports are saying that that scene was, was just so intense that it just seems like everybody was, was irked about it, that they just didn't know how much was enough and how much was too much. I think they, they settled for the safe side. So I think that's why you won't find Rupert. I, I'm sure he could cry and I'm sure that he would, would be, be good doing it. But, but I think that's why you won't see, you know, more of a reaction to that, um, because they were just c- kind of trying to skip it, c- trying to, get, trying to get through it as fast yeah. as they could. Well, go ahead. And to also revise what I said earlier, what I just said right before Eric, I think that Ron had this big turnaround moment after destroying the Horcrux. And for him to go back and sort of get all sobby wouldn't have fit in with this, with this new, this new strong Ron who, who king of the world can conquer anything. Um, that, that was a big, that was a big moment for him. So to go back to the, to, to go into a crying mood would have kind of, contradicted the, this big horcrux moment he just had yeah the, the other part though that uh 
a lot of people wrote in about that kind of relates to this in terms of things that were cut was, uh, you know, when Harry doesn't uh, have that conversation with Ron right after the Horcrux is destroyed about how he, he loves Hermione but as a sister. And people thought that was a huge plot point that got left out. Um, you know, and it kind of relates into this because maybe you would have seen more emotion out of Ron in this scene if they had included that. Because th- there's no discrepancy anymore. There's no question about, you know, who's into who. It, it's clearly defined. And people thought that that was a big moment in the books and it, and it kind of just got left out by the, the director. I think it separates. I think it separates because it's like worth it. We're, the audience then would be expecting Ron to give care more than Harry. So so it would essentially give Harry an excuse not to cry when Hermione's being tortured because he only likes her as a sister, whereas Ron likes her as more than that. It's just, I, I don't see that that distinction needed to exist. On the other hand, uh, David Yates has been accused of being a Harry Hermione shipper. It's in all of his films that he's done where, you know, they have these tender moments, and I, I don't think that's wrong, but I, I think that's probably also why this that scene was cut. And finally, one more chicken soup today. This comes from Andy16 of Wisconsin. I've started listening recently, maybe last three months or so, and I've really enjoyed going back to old episodes and listening. I live in a small town, and not many people are quite as into Harry Potter as I am, and I am proud to say that I am known as the Harry Potter girl at school. I will randomly shout out Harry Potter references pretty much on a daily basis. However, this isn't the point. My English class has been reading Les Mis, and we have lots of Socratic discussions. I've noticed that I've really improved in these discussions ever since I've listened to your guys' discussions on MuggleCast. So thanks a bunch for the good grade in English this semester. Oh, and the wonderful show you guys make. So <laughs> thanks, Andy, for that. I gotta say, this is uh, these episodes of MuggleCast have not helped me do better in my English classes <laughs> in school. Maybe Have you listened to them after? What do you mean? My school discussions? Yeah. No. Have you, have you listened uh, maybe to... I should ha- maybe it'd be better if I hosted them, I think. Yeah, there you yeah. go. <laughs> Well, it's good to I, see yeah. that that we have this effect, and and that you know people are doing well in English because, of, yeah, of they listen to the discussions that we have on the show, and we've gotten emails. Uh, I think some of the biggest, um, some of the biggest, what are we trying to say? Uh, some of the nicest messages we've heard about the impact of MuggleCast have been when teachers have emailed in and said they've played our discussions as examples. Of good literary discussions. That's a very nice uh, compliment. Good old, so. good old Mr. Nelson back from from oh, the yeah. old. Uh, wow. He was one of the first, one of the first teachers I who wrote that. in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the first teachers who wrote in saying that. I, I think, although the teacher should be the one to host the uh, discussion. I think Andrew, if you hosted the discussion, you'd you'd be instant messaging the teachers secretly and saying, "Hey, hey, you're popping, you're popping." You gotta, you gotta move your mic. You gotta, because you're a perfectionist. But that's why the show sounds so good. Uh, yeah, you know. Yeah, true that. I, I tried to make a joke. That was episode really, five, September third, two thousand and five. <laughs> Jesus. Wow. So very early. You should on. email in again if he still listens. He really should. Um, because before, that would be wonderful. Before we wrap up the show today, I want to plug a new podcast that Smart Mouse. Ben Shane. Oh, no. Sorry. No. <laughs> I, <laughs> Is that over now for good? Yes. Yes. I want to plug a new podcast that Ben Shane and I are now doing. It's called Hype. Hype. Hypepodcast.com. You can download the first episode and actually second episode will be out by the time, uh, or well, likely by the time you hear this. Uh, hype is about pretty much anything and anything, anything and everything causing hype at the moment. And we sort of determine if it's 
uh, deserves that hype. And the, the difference with this podcast that Ben and I are doing is that we're recording it together in person. And I think that makes a big difference in the sound of the show, the uh, rapport, uh, the chemistry, etc. So visit HypePodcast.com and I uh, hope you enjoy this new entertainment tech podcast that Ben and I are doing. Well, thank you, again, Andrew. Thank you for hyping again. up Hype. Oh, you're welcome. HypePodcast.com. Yeah. Is, is it an acronym, Andrew? No, it's not. You should not. make it it's one. Just, uh, it's, well, because Ben said it should have the word Hype in it. And I said, well, let's just call it Hype. And we were like, okay. While you're visiting HypePodcast.com, why don't you also hop over to MuggleCast.com to get all the information you need about this show. As we mentioned earlier, there's a contact link at the top where you can fill out a feedback form to get in touch with us. And on the right side of the site, you can find links to subscribe and review us on iTunes, follow us on Twitter, and like us on Facebook. And by doing all those things, you will stay up to date with the latest episodes... Uh, topic questions, uh, various things. So visit MuggleCast.com for everything you need. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Eric Skull. I'm Micah Tannenbaum. And I'm Richard Reed. And we'll see you next time for episode 219. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.